What do we do when 9% of the U.S. population will have an eating disorder in their lifetime? And you know what? The, the eating disorder issue, uh, it doesn't pick a side. It's every gender, every race, every sexual orientation, every socioeconomic group. And it is still one of the most deadly mental illnesses. My daughter lobbied in Congress with a group out of here in Boulder, Colorado, when she was in high school, trying to get the, the Congress to legislate that coroners would actually start to say they didn't die from liver failure. They died from an eating disorder. They didn't die from kidney failure. They died from an eating disorder. We're still not saying and talking about and confronting eating disorders straightforward, straight up. Well, uh, thanks to uh, PJ Lorenz, who I am so fond of, and they just send me the best guests. Uh, and PJ, if you're listening, you know you know how I feel about you. I've got a guest today who is going to confront this issue with us. Faith Alicia is my guest. My name is Aaron Huey. Welcome to Beyond Risk and back your show for parenting teens who really struggle. Today is learning how to say no to eating disorders. But what I like about Faith, what she's going to provide us today are the strategies from a survivor's perspective. I'm going to let Faith tell you her story. Thank you for joining me. Please remember to listen, like, subscribe, and share to Beyond Risk and Back so we can make sure parents who need the show are getting this show in their feed. Faith, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here so much. I'm so ready for this show. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm so ready to be here. I'm excited. It's it's absolutely my pleasure. And I've I've told this story prior on the show, uh, my daughter struggled with disordered eating. And I remember the moment it began because she and I were hiking and I did not understand as a narrow minded, uh, self-centered father, uh, that the comments I were make, was making were not helpful. They were increasing her anxiety and we were on a hike and she was complaining. My legs hurt. My you know, my legs hurt. And I finally out of frustration stopped. And I said, you're not in pain. You're out of shape. And she hit me with a look that I can remember to this day. And it was a while later, about a year later that she came forward and said, I want to join a support group for disordered eating. And I was blindsided, which, which shows the narrow mindedness of a father and careless comments. And obviously the cause, the catalyst was much deeper than my callous comment, but there it was the straw that broke the camel's back. And I feel tremendously guilty over the years. So I think the first question I have before we find out who and why you are is, is it that easy? Is it as simple as a comment that can send the child into a spiral, a comment from a peer, a comment from a teacher, a parent? Is it that simple? For me, I, my eating disorder, you know, it just became unhealthy coping. So there was never any comment or anything like that. It was more how I saw myself and a distorted view of myself and external focus to cover up the internal pain. 
But I know just from, you know, support groups and everything else with so many girls and, and young men with eating disorders that I, I think it could be there. And then it's like that one little thing, it just puts you over the edge. And I say, like, not to, I can't tell you, don't feel guilty because we feel what we feel. Right. It's just, it's as a person who has, you know, is recovering from an eating disorder, things that people say are very triggering to me still. And today I'm, you know, I have boundaries enough to say, and it's usually my husband who means well. We call it like food police. Well, do you think that's enough? So it's kind of things like parenting. And I have to say, you know, like that's not helpful to me. What, you know, it's what's more helpful to me, you know, are you feeling okay? What's going on? More, how can I help you? Rather than, well, do you think your dietitian would approve of that? So, you know, it's being very mindful. I'm exceptionally mindful as someone who's struggling and gone through all this eating disorder with my children. There is no... There are no body comments allowed in my house. I've told my husband this. If we want you to exercise, it's because it's good for your body. It's good for your heart. It's good for your mind. It has nothing to do with weight or anything else because I don't want my kids dealing with this. And one of them is. Let's let's jump into the the who and why if Faith Alicia is Faith Alicia and has done what she's done. How, how far back do you want to go and tell us how you got to this point? Well, I'm a child of an alcoholic and growing up, I've listened to the, one of your podcasts, like we're that just we're only as sick as our secrets and the secrets in the family. Yeah. Well, you know, coming from that family of you don't talk, you know, you're not heard, you're not seen, you're just there. So there's five girls and I never knew my father was an alcoholic. I just thought, honestly, I believed that all dads were mean and all dads screamed. So if I was invited to a friend's house, I would ask, is, the, is your dad home? Because if the dad was home, I was afraid to go there. I honestly believed all dads are mean, all dads scream. And there were years I did not speak to my dad. Well, when I was 16, I got to see my dad drunk and, you know, physically throw something. I was hiding under a table. And that was how I learned my father was an alcoholic. And I remember the next, my mother told him he had been in, he had been in AA for many years and then would have relapsed. So he was dry drunk all week, which was still the alcoholic behavior. And then on Saturdays when he wasn't with my mom, that's when he would drink. So I remember the next day after that event, which I will never forget, he sat me down on the patio and he said, you know, I'm going to go away for 28 days. And in my mind, I was like, yay, thank God go away, leave, because I could finally be at peace. And then he came home and he, he remained sober since that time. So I mean, he had so many years of recovery till he died in his 80s. So my coping just began of hiding, I would hide in my room, and very anxious, fight or flight, because I just never knew when the ball was going to drop. And it's still to that day, I have you know, a very, a generalized anxiety and panic disorder. I'm very sensitive to, you know, just fighting. I don't like confrontation. And I know that all stems just from those early years of just never knowing when the screaming's going to happen. 
And another thing I did was, you know, I also have a sister in recovery from addiction and another sister in AA for alcoholism. I learned that if I was really the good, perfect child, I didn't get yelled at and I could just be left alone. So straight A's, no drinking, never tried drugs, afraid of it all. I'm going to be the perfect child. Good child syndrome. The perfect child. Yeah. And I was left alone. I honestly, because they have to deal with all the other sisters and all their issues, but I'm good. So they don't have to worry about me. Right. Well, my anxiety was out of control and I went, you know, for undergrad. So I ended up having to withdraw my last semester because my anxiety turned into agoraphobia, which I now know was like separation anxiety because I was so afraid to leave the nest. A lot of codependency in my household. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I really, it was, I I was in a support group yesterday because I I do still like to be involved. And what I read in a book was, it's, you know, I, I was always surviving and not living. And I think, honestly, up until a few years ago, I had just lived to survive. It's just, I can do this, just get through. But at what cost, emotionally and mentally and physically, the exhaustion and anxiety? And it's with it. I went, I went to eating disorder treatment twice. After the last time, I started doing mindfulness and did the eight week mindfulness class and then the eight week self compassion class. There was a shift. I got very involved in codependency anonymous. And so the past three years has been the biggest shift. So today I can say I'm living. Is it always fun? No. Do I feel my feelings now? Yes. But it's no longer just surviving. Like today I'm excited to be alive. What a powerful statement, living to survive, just live to survive each and every day. What what becomes confusing about that concept, and I get it, but what becomes confusing about that concept for parents who are watching, struggling alongside of their teenagers who are dealing with eating disorder or any disorder for that matter, is that it seems with a simple change of action, the struggle would end, that the, the, the survival would end. Like, just go eat. Just eat a meal. What's in the way of this, you just eating a meal and feeling good again? If only it were that easy. Of course. We would all be (laughs) And my show is over. Thank you all for listening. Eat your three meals and two snacks. Okay, we're done. It doesn't work that way. Talk talk about that from your experience. Yes. A hard part, you know, with eating disorders, I do view mine like an addiction. I have to work this one day at a time. Every day, just putting myself first, which we can talk about in a while. But sure. Faith has to come first today because my whole life, everybody else was first. I was on the back burner. Hence, I was just struggling to get by. But it's, you know, we have to eat with alcohol and drugs. Right. You can say, don't go to a bar. Right. Don't go to a party where there's alcohol or drugs people who are recovering from eating disorders, we have to eat to survive. Right. So it's, it's so hard. And I, I, I guess when I was like in the heart of it, the focus was so much on its control. 
Yeah. There's so much going on around me. Because this that's, that's what thinking. you hear. That's what the, 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 the disordered eating and eating disorders all about control. It's about control and you can't control. Like control is the, the, the key phrasing when it comes to the eating issues. This is true. So, you know, as a mom of three, every day, you know, a new kid has a new crisis, <laughs> I'll put in quotes. <laughs> I, I cannot control these. I am powerless over them, but I want to fix it. I've got to make it better for my kids and the business. And I can't, I'm powerless over everything outside of myself, except how I act and choose to react and how I choose to look at things. Well, when I was in the heart of my eating disorder, I, I didn't look at things that way. It was just react. So, oh my God, this child's struggling. It's an automatic response of engaging in eating disorder behavior which is covering up the feelings. They, they always say like, well, it numbs you. I never really thought about it as like numbing the feelings, but I'm not feeling the feelings because I'm so focused on, well, what am I going to eat? And is this a safe food? And so focused on that, that it distracted me from the real issues going on deep within, which was getting to the core of the feelings and all this childhood stuff, which is not fun stuff. No. But I, I really had to go within so I could focus less on the outside. Okay, so that brings up a question about uh, a kind of leading off the control and the hypervigilance and the hyper-focus on the eating thing. When parents are watching their kids um, limit their access, li- you know, uh, limit the food as a strategy of, of eating and then binge eating on the other side of it or any of the strategies, eating and then purging, what, whatever the strategy is. There's a, there's a concept in addiction where they talk about the unconsciousness, where you get up and you say, you know what, today I'm not drinking, today I'm not using. And next thing you know, you're high. And you just, because it's so habituated. Mm-hmm. So did you find yourself getting up saying, you know what, today I'm going to eat. And then three missed meals later, guilt and shame, what? Oh, terrible guilt and shame. It's it's terrible. You know, and I was just something I read yesterday. It's like I to beat up on yourself, like you would never beat up on someone. I would never hurt someone as much as I've hurt myself and berated myself with shame. Like, well, I'm going to have a good lunch today. And then it comes around and I'm stressed and. The eating, it's the eating disorder voice is very conniving and manipulative, and it just persuades you to do what it wants you to do. And it, it does become very habitual and safe because it's so scary to make a change. I know that this is my world. I can act in this way and okay, I'm surviving. I can do it. But to make a change, that's too scary. There's too much beyond my control. So why am I going to let go of this? You're going to take that from me too. You've taken everything else. Now you're going to take that from me. And I can also say when I was in, you know, the, the midst of the eating disorder, going with the conniving, you know, sneaking, hiding what I'm eating so that because I don't want food police telling me or commenting, just leave me alone. So it becomes very secretive. I did, my daughter is recovering from an eating disorder as well. I had no idea, no idea, because it's so easy to hide. And I think it's like any addiction. 
why would I want you to know? Because then I have to be accountable. I don't want to be accountable because then that means I have to fix it or change it. And I didn't want to. I wasn't ready at that time to give it up. And it's not that easy. You 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 talk about in in the you you mentioned that no two eating disorders are alike and individuals need their own recovery strategies in your new book do you see what i see which you just released congratulations um do you talk about this is it you know how it's of course everybody's individualized of course everybody's going through a process but there's a danger with terminal uniqueness in recovery where you're so different and so special nobody can help you when it furthers the isolation and potentially can feed agoraphobia so i'm wondering about the no two eating disorders are alike can you talk about that because I, I I am afraid, and I know you're going to be able to shed light on this, that that would scare parents away from common strategies or reading a book. If they say, if my daughter's is completely unique, if mine is completely unique, then who can help me? Yes. And you're terminally unique. I actually wrote it down because I heard it in one of your podcasts. That was my life. Oh, that was mine too. Nobody has this much anxiety. Nobody can feel as anxious as I did. Right. Nobody can deal with like, I shouldn't have to live like this. Nobody can understand faith. But, you know, when you live with secrets, then I'm all alone with these secrets. And no two eating disorders are like, no two recoveries are like. And I say this is so important because, you know, I don't like to talk about behaviors because I, you know, I would hate to trigger someone out there that might be in recovery or trying to recover. But my behaviors might be totally different from yours. They're not exactly alike. And what I say is where we can relate is the feelings. So let's just put all the behaviors aside. I don't care if you're anorexic, bulimic, you know, a binge eater. If we take away all of these symptoms and our behaviors, if we go underneath, I guarantee you, if we had a person representing, you know, each type of eating disorder, we will all relate within one minute because there's (laughs) feelings of abandonment. Feelings of shame, feelings, you know, guilt, uh, aloneness, not feeling good enough, not feeling worthy enough, not feeling deserving enough. How do you, when you, when you're a parent and your, your child is hiding and you discover it, they're lying and you discover it, they're hoarding or throwing things away, whatever the version is, you talk about redirecting the loop of lies. So what is, what is that and how do you confront it? Because it seems to me, as you and I were talking off the air, you were talking about in a day when, when someone who loves you says, hey, have you had enough to eat? That that could be a trigger, but on another day, it might feel very supportive. And you could say the wrong thing. Um, for example, the last time I went out and saw my daughter, I was like, you look fit as hell. Like, you look fantastic. And I know she's been working her butt off. She's changed her, her eating strategies. She's exercising more. And she feels good, according to her. And I want to say... You look amazing. You look fit. You look healthy. And I'm terrified that I'm going to blow it. So how do you know what to say when you know the lies have begun? And this is a fragile, careful dance you have to negotiate. So I am going to reference my book for a second. And there is a page in there that talks about somebody 
saying, you look so healthy. And then because it, it's all like my cartoon, yeah. and, like punching the person. Because to <laughs> someone with an eating disorder, if you say you look healthy, I, I mean, I. You're reinforcing it, everything that they've done. You're to me, it's. It, it means something opposite. Not not today. But in the heart of my eating disorder, if you say that, oh, my God, eating disorder, I need to be stronger with you because people are seeing changes. And I don't like that change. I need I need to gain more control or allow my eating disorder. What I find to be the most helpful and I tell my husband is for him to ask me, how can I support you? What kind of things can I say would be helpful to you? And just talk about it. And with my so. When I discovered my daughter had an eating disorder, I've been very open and honest with my kids. With my little one, I had waited because he was too young the first time I went to treatment. But when it was very important to me because I grew up in a home where I just thought the craziness behavior that, you know, this is just normal. This is like, what is this? This is normal in a household. And I swore that I would never do that. My my outlook is if you have an issue, let's get help for it. I'm so open minded. My kids know they can come to me for anything. There's no judgment. I love them. We get help. If we have a problem, we get help. It's not black or white. There's always solutions and we do what we can to help. So when I found out my daughter had an eating disorder, she was also in her last semester of high school. Well, you know, I have an older son, the daughter, and then a younger son. You know, my daughter were very close. So I was going through my own emotional turmoil of, oh, my God, my daughter's leaving home. So um, I was active in my own eating disorder. Well, now she tells me she has an eating disorder. So I once again put faith on the back burner, like, screw me. I got to make sure my daughter's going to college. Like, I got to make sure she's okay because it was always me last. And I told like, we do not talk about our recoveries together because our eating disorders are different. Our feelings, we understand, but I'll never say like, hey, how, how's your eating disorder? I will, will not do that. I got her a dietitian that specializes in eating disorder, very important. She had been seeing a therapist because she has anxiety also, which who does not specialize in eating disorders. And I'm not a proponent of that. I therapists who specialize in eating disorders understand the beast that is an eating disorder. They understand the manipulative, the, how it manipulates, how it connives, because I was seeing a therapist three times a week because I was such a mess before I went to treatment the first time. And her whole focus was on happiness and we're going to practice happiness. You know what, lady, that's great, <laughs> but I'm stepping on the scale 10 times a day and I'm not eating. This is a problem. She was just encouraging it, enabling it because she had no clue how to help. Right. And for me, it just kept saying, well, when it gets to this number, then I need help. Okay. Now you reach that number. Uh, when it gets to this number, when it came to a point where I said, I need help, I can't fix this myself. And that's when I went to treatment and I, that was the first time. So when 
I found out my daughter had it. I set her up with a dietitian and she felt very comfortable with the therapist she had. So I guess this, this is a, where the parenting comes in. She already had established rapport with this therapist. I had told her that, you know, I think it's better if you see one who specializes. So I had her see a different one and she just sat there and wouldn't talk. And the therapist is like, well, she's not talking. She just sits there. And she was 17 years old. Right. So she kept saying, I want to go back to my therapist. I only feel comfortable speaking with her. So I made an agreement with her. I have no issues since you have trust in her because I need her to be able to have someone who she is comfortable with. Sure. And it's hard for young people to speak about their feelings. So if they do have someone that they're comfortable, you know, it's, it's wonderful because that person's objective and not family. Right. But the key to that was, but I also want you then to see the dietitian so that at least I know somebody is monitoring the eating disorder and can, you know, keep contact with the therapist because the therapist has no clue about eating disorders. But as long as I know she's able to share her feelings and the dietitian is, you know, looking at behaviors and all that, I agree to that. I believe that podcasting is the last free press out there. I truly believe that. Politics aside, I get to say whatever I want. I get to interview whomever I want. I get to talk about whatever I want. And my guests can speak uncentered and unabashedly. The reason why I bring this up is because to me, that's what support is. The art form of the therapeutic intervention is that risky edginess that is art. Art's supposed to make us uncomfortable when we look at it. Recovery is uncomfortable. Getting support as a parent is uncomfortable. This podcast, the guests I bring on, the experts like Faith, Alicia, this, these are, these are the people who've been through the fire, been hammered on the crucible and are now back sharp and ready to support you as a tool in working with your team that's struggling. To add to this podcast, I want you to go to my Facebook group, which is Parenting Teens That Struggle. It's a secret group. It's moderated by me. I answer questions. You have direct contact to me there. And it's just a place where I've got 1,200 parents who are dealing with exactly what you're dealing with, who are together talking and laughing and posting questions, serious questions about serious struggles that their teenagers are having. There are a lot of parent coaches and support for parents out there with toddlers and mindfulness and things like that. And this is all important. But when we as parents find ourselves and our kids who are struggling with suicide, with drugs, with alcohol, with addiction, anxiety, depression, mental health, behavioral issues, and it's gone beyond risky behavior. Hell, every teenager's at risk. Our kids on Parenting Teens That Struggle and Beyond Risk and Back, the kids we love, 
these are the kids who've gone beyond risk and our job is to get them back. So please share this podcast with your friends, with family members, on your news feeds, on your social media, so that we can help as many parents for free as possible and get your butts over to Parenting Teens That Struggle, a free support Facebook group moderated by me. Let's keep looking out for each other. Go get the love and support you need. Let's get back to our guests talking about eating disorders. Okay, Faith, I want to ask a question as we start to get into the strategies of this experience with eating disorders and disordered eating. First of all, what's the difference between the two in your mind? How, As a parent, how do I know if my kids just got disordered eating or if I'm dealing with the full-on, full-blown eating disorder? Full-blown eating disorder, it affects your functioning in daily life. So, I mean, I see people out there with all these keto and paleo and all this. So we might say some of these have disordered, you know, eating and we're not going to eat carbs, but they will have, you know, something and it's not the end of the world. With an eating disorder, it impairs your daily functioning and the focus is so much on the food and the behavior that it impacts all aspects of our lives. When I start to ask you about strategies and what ifs and stuff like that, is your common answer going to be, um, and I want to establish this if it is or it isn't, I want to establish it right away because I know parents that work with me, no matter what question they ask me, I come back with, well, what does taking care of yourself first look like? And they're like, God damn it, Aaron, just answer my question. And so I'm wondering if you have a version of that. If I was to ask you a question like, all right, I think my kids got disordered eating, eating disorders. Do I get rid of all the scales in the house? Are you going to start your answer with first have a conversation and see what's supportive to this person or can you just tell parents first thing you need to do is get rid of the scales and stop, you know, blah, blah, blah. What's your, what's your primary response strategy for the what ifs? Well, first of all, I have gotten rid of all the scales. <laughs> There's no scale in my house. Yeah. And that was first for me. But then, you know, I would notice my daughter, like, where's the scale? You know, my husband would hide it. And I was like literally a drug addict searching for drugs, searching under the bed, searching in closets. I remember doing this and I stopped one time like this is, I'm not going to say a bad word, but this is You're insanity. You're allowed to hear. <laughs> that this is insanity that I am crawling under beds and looking in closet and under clothes for a stupid scale when there is, you can't win either way. You can't win. There is no scales. I don't think anybody needs a scale in the house. It's how you feel and paying attention to your feelings. Because if it's too much, you feel bad. If it's too low, my eating disorder is happy. But even in general, I think the focus so much has to be on within. Because if we focus on within, we feel better and don't have to focus so much on the exterior. And I know this is so much easier said than done. Of but course. It's so true. And it's not easy getting in touch with these feelings that we don't want to deal with. And so going back to just, you know, my daughter in that last semester, I did get her the support she needed and she went to college. Now I did tell her if she did not agree to my terms because, Hey, mom and dad are footing the bill for college. Hey, we're still mom and dad. 
we're still mom and dad. She was under 18 that if she didn't agree, you're going to community college because I'm not sending you away. And yes, then she wants to hide the behavior. And she said it. My kids are very open. We're very open. (laughs) She's like, well, I can just engage in behaviors and you won't know because I'm going. Okay. I knew she had the therapist who she's honest with. So I had to step back and let go and trust. Now she was under 17. So I could tell the therapist, if you see like any flags, I need to know. And I I had to let go, which is so not easy. (laughs) But I knew that she was with the dietitian and the therapist and she was with professionals watching out for her. And I had to step back. And then the week after she left for college, I went into my second treatment. Then it was time to take care of Faith again. Okay, so that brings up another question because disordered eating, as you talk about, and is is as broad a spectrum as um, you're doing the keto and you're doing really well and you're in full ketosis and you go to Shake Shack, which I love Shake Shack, but the guilt that comes after. And then you you rationalize it, you think of you assess about it, you say, I'll do extra push-ups at the gym and blah, blah, blah. Disordered eating can include that. But when when we are having to intervene, set boundaries, draw conclusions, uh, create support for our children who are struggling with disordered eating, at what point do we, through this process, must we confront our own? Well, I had worked on mine before. So, you know, look, I have I have to be a role model for my kids. If my children saw me for seven years, go to my support group every Monday night, you know, I go to my CODA groups like the last few years, they see mom that if there's an issue, we work on it because that's what we do. I go to my therapist every week via, Zoom, via FaceTime because of COVID. I see my dietitian still now it's once a month, but you know, monkey see monkey do where it's like, do, do as I say, not as I do her last semester while I'm trying to help her with her disorder. I was so in my eating disorder. Like you can't tell me my family doesn't notice. I remember we went out um, for a celebration and it is heartbreaking, but we had like a dessert after and my kids were like, Oh, we're so happy you had dessert. Do you know how heartbreaking that is as a mother? They notice, even when I think I'm being so sneaky with the behavior, the kids notice. And I I just, I do not want my children to live with this. I know my daughter has to, you know, struggle with this now. Like I said, hers is different, but it's just, you know, it's a process of recovery. And today, like I said, Part of my healing is nourishment because my brain is not going to work well if I'm not nourishing myself. And I do have to throw in, you know, just talking about fitness that that can be, you know, a trigger. It can be a component of eating disorder. Oh, I live in Boulder, Colorado. We have the highest rate okay. of exercise anorexia in the United okay. States. So just, I'm, that, was, that was my issue. And so I just wanted to throw that out there. Oh, And then that's where the eating disorder versus disordered eating. Because, okay, I can eat this, but you damn well know 
I'm getting rid of it in one way or another. You know, th- this is so amazing because the the line, the more we talk about eating disorder and disordered eating, the line gets blurrier and 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 blurrier. When when I miss a day at the gym, and and I do it right, I don't go seven days a week and spend seven hours there. Like I go and I'm forty five minutes to an hour and a half, depending on how I feel, depending on what my body's telling me it wants to do. I listen when my my chest says, "Hey, that's enough." one more and where I can, I can hear, I have great body rapport, but when I don't go to the gym or I miss the gym on a day that I would go, I feel it. And I chalk that up to, I'm not in my routine and routine for my ADHD brain is everything for me. It's how I stay sober. It's how I stay sane. It's how I, it's how I keep my every day as an entrepreneur, as a podcaster going is by organizing structure, ritual, ceremonial days. So if I miss something, the okay i gotta get to the gym i gotta get to the gym and now when i'm eating it's done and it sounds like i have one is it that simple and how do you know faith when you are starting into lapse and relapse my eating disorder voice will get louder so i'm going to give you a perfect example and this is how i love that there are views in eating disorder recovery that the people who believe in they are recovered versus recovering I tend to choose, I am in the process of recovering, recovery as any addict is. It's a one day at a time process. I'm on a journey of learning about myself and self-awareness. But I have to put myself first. I, I compare it to like the, the electric car, the Tesla that you have to charge overnight. If I don't wake up and do the meditation and center myself, because I wake up and the mind automatically goes to the wheels. I need to stop that, get centered and a fresh perspective. So the past two weeks, my oldest moved. We live in Florida. So I had to move him to California, very far. And, you know, he's going to law school there. So just to get him situated, came home and my youngest had a bar mitzvah last weekend. So it was come home from California, get this bar mitzvah squared away with the COVID going on. It can't be a lot of people and all this. And why I say this is my oldest came first while I was there. Well, I got to get him squared away because he's in orientation all week. So I have to make sure he has everything he needs because you won't be able to order it on Amazon and get there. So he has to have everything. Mom has to make sure everything is right where it's supposed to be and clean cleaned a whole damn apartment because <laughs> I'm like to do with clean. And then when I came home, it's all the focus on the young one. Well, guess who I didn't focus on for two weeks, me. And I felt it. And so what happens is the eating disorder voice comes back and it's like, Ooh, maybe you should do this. Or like that automatic response wants to kick back in, but I've been in recovery long enough now to say, okay, faith, let's go inside. What's going on? Like I actually have chats with myself because my therapist has just ingrained in me, faith, dig deeper, dig deeper. You know, it's the fear. My oldest one has anxiety too. So, you know, when he was in college close by, I could jump in a car and get to him if he needs me. Now he's across the country. Mom can't get there so easily. So I got to let go once again and trust, you know, So 
now that I'm like finally coming down, I need to get back into faith again because I see the past two weeks, the cycle of insanity of my mind, not feeling well, feeling the anxiety out of control because I was trying to control everything around me instead of taking a deep breath. Ah, faith, let's just step back, you know, and usually I'm at that centered place. But when I stop taking care of myself, I go right back to that insanity. And then the eating disorder voice gets louder. Thank God today I can distinguish between the two right? because the lines can get very blurred. And that's where when you say, why can't you just eat a meal? Because the eating disorder voice, it comes right in and you just do what it says without even thinking. It's just automatic. So the past two days, it's okay, we're meditating. I was listening to affirmations right before we got on this. I need to be centered. I do my serenity prayer. God, give me the words you know, just to help somebody and just get out of my head because my head gets me into trouble a lot of the time. There, I love the saying, don't believe everything you think. Uh, Faith, tell Mm -hmm. us with, uh, as we're, we're wrapping up to the end here, top three strategies. A parent says, I think my kid has an eating disorder. What's number one, two, and three. What do you want them to do? The first thing is, is having open communication. My kids know that no matter what, they come to me with, they are never in trouble because how can I be mad at you for how you feel? They're right. your feelings. Right. So openness that they can trust me with anything, no matter what it is, and we'll get help. So no black and white. There's always a choice. And, you know, when they're under 18, I'm sorry, but mom and dad, like we can force them to do things yeah. for their own best interest because they're not morally developed yet. You know, until they're 18, we do have some control, even though they don't want it. But, you know, professionals have to get involved at some point. We can only do so much. So no black and white. There's always a choice. I always tell my kids many paths lead to the same destination. You know, we, we, we want to get to this goal. Well, your destination might be, you know, your journey might be different from this person. So don't compare. Your life is your life and it's your journey. So do it in the healthiest. My daughter called me last night, like crying, breaking down about, you know, something in college. And I'm like, you know what? You have to live for yourself, not to please mommy, not to please daddy. This is your life and you're going to be with yourself for your life. So you have to do what makes you happy. So just sharing that unconditional acceptance, I think, is number one. Number two would be, I always say, it could always be worse. That's something I say with my husband. Well, he's doing this. Okay, it could always be worse. So then I stop. Number three is a moment of gratitude. Just for this moment, what am I grateful for? You know what? If the kid is using drugs, it's horrible. You know what? For this moment, thank God the kid's alive, and maybe we could try to get him help. There's always something to be grateful for, no matter how bad things are. I saw a lady on the news like a week ago, and she had COVID. And I I just remember, and she said, people take for granted a breath that they're not, you know, you don't even think about the blessing of taking a breath because she couldn't breathe from COVID. If we stop and think about that, every breath is a gift. So it's just coming back and saying, you know what, thank God. For right now, I'm safe. 
but I have to take care of myself first or I get all enmeshed in my kids' issues. And just the whole dysfunction, it really kind of takes over the family. So I have to heal myself, take care of my needs, which this has been a process. And once I'm like centered, I handle all their stuff without reacting because now I connect right. without yelling. Well, I'm not a yeller anyway. I'm afraid <laughs> of yelling, but I'm, you know, just, I just act and don't react. I, I'm just very perspective. It's all how you look at things. Talk about how parents are going to find you and find your book. I know you didn't want to talk about your book, but now it's time to talk about your book. So my book is found. It's on any, like any media, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. I love Amazon. So <laughs> Me too. Um, also, I love Amazon. My website is Faith Alicia and it's E-L-I-C-I-A dot com. I'm on Facebook and then Instagram is Faith Alicia G. And, you know, the book is... I, I look at this, it's not me, it's we. And that's the importance. It's my ups and downs, because life is up and down. It's not a straight line. It's a journey. And it's just filled with, with strategies that I think apply to anyone, no matter what the situation, but just learning to take care of ourselves and strategies to help us do that. My guest today was Faith Alicia. You can find her at faithalicia.com. I have a, uh, I have, I want to make sure I give it absolutely perfectly. It's F-A-I-T-H-E-L-I-C-I-A.com. That's her website. What a great introspective view of it instead of just that constant outward focus. And I know for a fact with the, the kids in our facility who are struggling with disordered eating, that the focus on it it's it's is as hard as what's going on on the inside and you're adding to it so there is a way when you know kids are struggling with it that you can say hey did you eat lunch today and they say no and they you can follow it up with do you feel okay and they can answer you and you can take their answer at faith value and after three meals i'll tell you as a professional treatment center when three meals are missed then we're concerned because that's when the brain chemistry starts to fall. We know that after one meal, it starts to struggle, but after three, it starts to fail. And we don't want that. But I've also got a building full of therapists and psychiatrists and people who have done this years and years over. So parents, make sure one of the things that Faith talks about in her book is how you should get support. So get this book, it's a workbook. Do you see what I see available on Amazon? Just released. I wanna thank Deepin Productions for producing this podcast, creating this music. I wanna thank Your Cause Consulting for making sure that this show is getting in front of all the parents who need to hear this show. Parents, thank you so much for helping me make this show a number one parenting podcast. Internationally, we are seeing amazing numbers and I'm so grateful. So please continue to listen, like, subscribe, and share this show with other parents who need the support. As always, parents, take care of yourselves first, your adult relationships second, and your children third, because in that way, we do our best work with our kids.